Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. We've got a fun show today. Absolute Software CEO Christy Wyatt, she joins us to discuss the annual CEO for a Day program, whereby students spend a day shadowing executives here in British Columbia. And then later on, Retail Insider's Craig Patterson, he breaks down the latest retail news, including the potential fallout for brands as the NBA blizzard China versus continues to escalate. But before we get to that, we do want to mention that on November 13th at the Fairmount Waterfront Hotel, BIV's BCCO Awards are going on. More details about the CEO Awards, you can find that at BIV.com slash events. Now let's go ahead and speak to Absolute Software's Christy Wyatt. So each year, executive recruitment firm Audrey's Bernson facilitates the CEO for a day program and allows students in this province and others to shadow an executive through the course of their workday. It's very cool. I've had the opportunities to interview CEOs as well as the students over the last few years. Always fascinating experiences. And BC companies that are participating this year include Absolute Software, Carbon Engineering, and BC Hydro. And for those students listening, you can apply up until midnight on October 25th. This is something that you think you're going to like. And join us today to talk about what maybe their expectations are. It's Christy Wyatt. She is CEO of Absolute Software. Christy, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask, let's say you're 18, 19, 20, you're, you're in post-secondary your school yourself at the time. What would you have wanted to uh, know at that time if you got the chance to kind of uh, trail a CEO for a day? You know, I, I actually have uh, an 18-year-old, so so I know I know sort of that chapter, and I know at that moment you're thinking about what are all of the different opportunities available to you, what are the choices that can feel a little overwhelming. And I and I think that oftentimes uh, students, especially young women, tend to limit themselves by what they feel is possible. And if somebody had sort of reached a hand out to me at that moment in time and kind of walked me forward a couple of decades and said, look, you know, there's a number of opportunities available to you. You have so many choices. It would have been it would have been an amazing opportunity for me. So, so I really just feel like it's an opportunity to give young folks a a view into what our world looks like and 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 what's available. Well, you bring up something very very important here, which is just this generational shift that uh, we're experiencing right, right now. And I'm not saying that we, we fixed everything in the workplace, uh, especially for young women coming up or anything like that. But do you think that maybe the opportunity for if it's a young woman who's able to shadow you for a day, that might kind of maybe change some of their perspectives, give them some interesting insights on what daily life for an executive would be like? Possibly. You know, I uh, started out as a software developer, so so I love to talk to young folks about pursuing careers in technical roles. I, I love to talk to young folks about pursuing roles uh, in a variety of different areas and what that can kind of grow into. Um, and I don't think that we've solved all of the, the obstacles for, and not just for young women, but but for a whole host of different groups. And so I think that Again, we tend to limit our thinking around what's available to us. And I think when you come into a company like Absolute, you get to see people from a whole host of different backgrounds, from a different different uh, geographic backgrounds, economic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. 
I mean, it starts to open up possibilities and you start to talk to folks and understand how they got there and what their journeys were. And you start to realize that, that it's not always linear, right? It's, it's, there's not sort of an A plus B equals C sort of path through your career that, that, that there's all sorts of different ways to kind of get to the, get to the finish line. You say it's not linear, and I, I didn't realize that you started off your career as a developer. Uh, for that kind of transition into leadership, was it something that you figured that, hey, you know, this is something I'm good at, this is something I'm enjoying, or is it something that maybe somebody recognized in you and, and started giving you opportunities that you hadn't thought about before? I believe all of the above. Yeah. I, I think that um, all of my career I've spent, you know, when I've made decisions about what to go invest time in, it was usually too. Uh, two drivers. One was there was an interesting problem to solve, a technology set or a customer problem that that I sort of lit up and went, oh, mobile, that's a big idea, or handhelds or security. I mean, these are big, important problems or opportunities, and and I can get really excited about that. And then there was always a person. There was always a, a senior leader, and I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing CEOs. I was at Apple. I was at Palm. I was at Sun. I was at Motorola. Um, and so when you when you have that spark and you and you have that light and you want to go chase those opportunities and somebody you really respect reaches out and says, "Hey, I see that in you. Let me give you some opportunities to to work on those skills or get exposed to new things." You know, those were those were very I would say catalyzing moments for me, right? So so it's I think it's it's a combination at least in my my history, it's been a combination of of finding really amazing individuals that I thought I could mentor that I would learn a lot from. That's usually what drove my direction. Well, you, you know, over the years, like, I, I've spoken to so many students about this. So I, I guess if I'm doing the math in my head, probably about four or five at this point. And it is interesting, kind of the different experiences each one of them have, and it depends on who they are, you know, personality wise, and also kind of the organization or the individual that they've been shadowing. Let's say um, the future person who's going to be shadowing you uh, down the road is listening to this. Let's do a bit of a time travel leap here. What are some of the things that you think that they should be aware of uh, when they're following you throughout uh, the course of your day? Uh, it's a long day. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. It's a long day. And it's uh, and we spend time on a lot of different things, right? A, an average day in our world would be, you know, we'll spend some time talking to the product team. We'll spend some time talking to sales. Uh, we spend quite a bit of time with HR or with finance. So there's a lot of diversity of topics. You you get to see a lot of different pieces of how a company is run and, and a lot of different perspectives around sort of how we interact with our customers and how we take care of their needs and how we answer their questions and how we uh, solve problems. And I think that that's generally the theme in our culture. As a company, we're problem solvers. We're, we're here to understand what challenges customers are having and how we go about solving them, either with technology or with support and services or with a host of other things. And so it really is just a number of different variations of problem solving. So my job, I, I it's a combination of knowing when to observe and knowing when to ask questions. Uh, if, if somebody is trailing you, are they going to have to find that right balance or are you going to be pushing for more of the observation or more of the asking questions throughout the day? I love folks that are curious. Um, I love the folks that even if they're, you know, cautious through the meeting, but sort of are writing them down and then at the end saying, here's all the things I thought about and, you know, can you answer some of these? We actually run a chief of staff program in the company, and this is my third company of doing it, where we actually take folks who are from 
I'd say other parts of the organization, usually they're already a leader in some way. They're a manager or a director and they stay with me for a year. And, 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 mm. you know, we, we do it because we think those individuals are high potential and then they have the opportunity to become greater leaders over time. And so that exposure and that, that opportunity to see how all of the different things come together will make them better leaders when they cycle out at the end of the year and do something else. So it's a very similar process, right? I, 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 I love the fact that people are curious. I love the fact that they want to know how everything's working. They might, they might need to write down a list of questions through, through each meeting because uh, we may not be able to get to all of them right in the conversation. Um, but that's why you're there, right? You're there to learn. So ask away. But I, I like how you kind of brought up uh, what you're doing just internally, though, with regards to your own company. And just uh, you do want to be able to cultivate and recognize those leaders that uh, are, are still up and coming, though, right? Absolutely. I, and again, I'll go back to, you know, every major move I've had in my career has been driven by some some interesting problem, some intellectual curiosity, some big technology opportunity, and a human being I thought I could learn from. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, you know, when I first went to Apple, um, you know, Steve had come back. There was, you know, Apple was still kind of somewhat struggling. We were maybe 4% uh, PC market share. Uh, but I looked at the company and I thought, gosh, there's so much to learn here. These are some amazing leaders. And, and it was just an amazing period of my life. Um, and so I think those are the learning moments for us, both as individual contributors and then eventually as leaders. So as we wrap up here, let's say, okay, I'll go back to that time travel analogy once more. I, I, I like doing that. But uh, if you're talking to yourself, you know, you know, 25 years ago, what would you want to tell them or what do you think would surprise a, a younger Christie about what your you know, current job entails right now? Just to set the context, I'd say I came from a, you know, a smaller town in uh, Canada. And I, you know, I think that if I were talking to the 18 year old version of me, I had already in my mind sort of assumed that because I hadn't made certain choices with courses or with certain choices, I didn't know where I was going to go, and I thought that was unique to me, I had already sort of closed off opportunities thinking, oh, that there are certain things that aren't available to me because I, you know, gosh, I'm 18, I've already, I've already made some of the decisions. And I see that in my own children, and I see that in young kids today, where I think they feel like the bar is so high and, and academia is so competitive that, that if they didn't make the right choice when they were 16, oh my gosh, their career is over. And I think what I would say the 18-year-old version of me is, oh my gosh, you're just getting started. Like there's, there's really literally nothing that you couldn't experiment, try, learn. Um, so open yourself up to it and just go for it. I like that. The, uh, very, very good advice for anybody, uh, even at my age at this point. So I appreciate that. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. That's Christy Wyatt. She is CEO of Absolute Software. And stay with us, Craig Patterson editor-in-chief of RetailInsider.com. He joins us in just a second. And with us today to talk about all the latest news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, editor-in-chief at RetailInsider.com. He's also the host of Retail Insider's new podcast. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, yeah, that, very good, very thoughtful of you. So uh, maybe let's kick <laughs> it off with the fallout from all that China NBA Blizzard controversy, because I, I'm wondering, 
you know, from your perspective, Craig, do you think other brands are going to be on heightened alert because of everything that we're seeing go down this past week or so? Oh, huge. Absolutely. I mean, I think Tiffany already got in a bit of trouble. Tiffany and Co., the uh, jeweler, um, it's already happening, unfortunately. And uh, I think that other brands are tiptoeing around this. Uh, you know, China, you know, in general, has shown to be a little oversensitive, in my opinion. And uh, uh, the thing is, though, you know, how many people live in China? Well, over a billion. Uh, the spending power is uh, massive and they're willing to spend. You know, that's why there are luxury stores in Vancouver. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that many brands are really going to be tiptoeing around this situation because there's been, you know, some blowups already. Yeah, well, it's interesting because if you kind of track it, this has been going on for a number of years. You know, China has been flexing its muscles. Uh, why do you think this is at the forefront right now? Do you think there's just something about, say, the the brand of the NBA that is making us all, you know, pay attention more so than usual? Well. Probably. I mean, I know that there has been blowback in the past. I think it's just getting a lot of media coverage now. And I think that, you know, with the protests happening in Hong Kong, I think that has at least heightened that awareness because, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous what's happening there. So, um, you know, it would be, be it, you know, basketball or be it, you know, van shoes. I mean, <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, the potential for boycotts are huge. And this could, this could you know, tank the value of companies, uh, you know, reduce retail sales significantly in some cases. And, uh, you know, that's a huge concern. Like if I was a retailer or a brand, I, I, you know, I would definitely, you know, be concerned and try not to, I think, you know, say anything uh, out of line, you know, unless the company really does want to take a stand, um, you know, say pro-democracy, if that would be their stand. Yeah. Do you think that some brands could maybe make a name for themselves by doing just that, you know, saying, hey, we're, we're not going to bow down to demands from Beijing? You know, they could, but I mean, ultimately, you know, the Chinese market versus the size of the Hong Kong market, you know, China is much bigger, right? So it, I don't want to say the brand would be shooting themselves in the foot, but, uh, um, you know, financially, I'm not sure if that would be the best decision. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, some brands, you know, may actually, you know, take a stand out of principle. And, you know, if their core base isn't a Chinese consumer, uh, you know, this may not be so much of an issue for them. Do you think there are many companies out there, or many brands out there that kind of have that backbone? Let's say, you know, they, they say, you know, we will be losing money on this. But you know what? Um, those principles from the Communist Party, they don't align with our principles as a company, and, and we're not going to bow down like this. That's a good question. I mean, those brands would probably be ones that wouldn't, you know, have a huge Chinese consumer base. Uh, perhaps, um, I don't know, Cabela's or, you know, some, some maybe sure. something hunting related. And I, I guess maybe I'm being a bit stereotypical, but I'm trying to think of a brand that, you know, uh, say Chinese consumers wouldn't necessarily be drawn to. So, uh, you know, that could happen. But again, you know, and I haven't completely studied the situation in terms of are there, you know, is there a substantial pro-democracy group that's really going to support brands that uh, that take that stand? I mean, you know, I've got my own personal feelings. I probably shouldn't say it because I'd probably get attacked or something uh, at this point. And, you know, things like this are happening in Canada. I mean, there are literally spies and, you know, international students in some cases have been recruited. It's, it's really a bizarre situation. And this is happening in Canada as well. Yeah, it, it's just very interesting. I think you're right on the money when you said that, you know, maybe the Hong Kong protests are bringing a lot more light to this. And I, I think, you know, a lot more people are waking up to maybe the threat of the Communist Party, especially abroad right now. So this is one I, I, I swear, Craig, we'll be talking about it more and more because I, I think there's going to be more instances of Beijing flexing its muscles 
and more companies bowing down. And I just wonder if this is going to escalate to a point where maybe a lot of brands are getting pushback from consumers outside of China, where a lot of, you know, uh, you know, North Americans, a lot of Europeans are like, huh, do I really want to align myself with a brand like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit worried, especially for, say, retail in Vancouver, because if something happens uh, that, you know, the perception of Vancouver as a place to visit, et cetera, you know, if there's that negative perception there, this could tank retail sales, uh, you know, and it could happen in a market like Toronto as well. I'm just thinking, you know, where there's a high Chinese population and tourist base, and, and both of those cities have that. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, ultimately, you know, for the sake of the economy, I hope people are tiptoeing around this. But, you know, at the same time, I don't blame someone for taking a stand, you know, say in either direction. I mean, I think it's important to take a stand, but it's also really hard when you're reliant on money to do so unless yeah. you can afford to take that loss. Well, I, I just think maybe the, the lesson that we're taking away right now is money talks. You know, NBA players, I don't know, they, they don't seem to want to risk a lot of their sponsorship endorsement deals right at this point. So uh, why don't we uh, shift over? Uh, Forever 21, of course, we know that this will be liquidating across Canada. There will still be some stores open in the United States as well as Latin America. But tell us, I mean, liquidation sales getting underway here. Any deals to be had, in your opinion, Craig, or are we going to find more disappointed people, a la, say, the uh, the Sears situation, where I know a lot of people were not quite impressed with the quote-unquote deals that were available when Sears was liquidating? Oh, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, Forever 21's prices were already pretty low. Uh, yeah, that's true. Reasons. But uh, I would suspect that, like, I don't want to say it would be like Sears, but ultimately these clearances are, you know, targeted towards making money and being able to, you know, uh, deal with any you know deaths or shortcomings uh, financially. So you know I suspect that the deals will be at least start kind of what you might see during a typical sale in a retailer. Uh, you know my bigger question because you know I've been asked this a few times already is you know given the incredibly low sales in some of these Forever Twenty One stores, are people even going to care enough to go into these stores to buy something cheap? I mean they were already quite cheap, and if they're a little bit cheaper, is that going to you know? shift the consumer well yeah maybe if they literally want disposable clothing but you know i'm certainly not running to uh, forever 21 for any sales because i never really found anything that i liked and granted i'm a guy and you know maybe there's a lot more women's clothing in there but uh, you know i'd be curious to, to hear from uh, you know young women who are a fan of the brand uh, you know what they would be doing because uh, I, I honestly have no interest in participating in any of these sales as a consumer whatsoever well, Craig, your image of you in my head, it's shattering right now because I just pictured you all in like, say, distressed jeans uh, all the time. But uh, I, I guess that's not the case. <laughs> oh, not even close. <laughs> well, the other thing I, I think from like a broader perspective that I think is going to have bigger implications is just the vacancies uh, from these stores and, and what it means for shopping centers. Is this going to create a sizable hole with, I, I believe, 44 locations in Canada? Or do you think that there's it's going to be easy enough for a certain segment of these shopping centers to fill in that gap there? Yeah, so um, I had a research uh, document that was provided to me the night that the announcement was made that the Canadian stores would be closing, which was a Sunday night. So we were working, you know, unusual hours. Um, just under, like, literally, like, I think 899,000 square feet of space uh, will be vacated with Forever 21 closing its stores. Uh, that is way, way, way less than, you know, when Sears and Target close their stores in Canada. So uh, this isn't, you know, certainly nearly as serious in terms of the closure, but, you know, it's still substantial. So it really depends on the shopping center and, 
you know, what the landlord is able to do with the space. You know, Metropolis at Metrotown, I'm not super worried. I mean, there's a waiting list of retailers wanting to get in there. So they're going to find a way of either putting a new retailer of that size or, you know, splitting it up and putting other retailers in there. Um, for shopping centers that aren't as strong, yes, I mean, this is going to be a bit of a headache for the landlord because they're going to have to find ways to, uh, you know, put retailers in there. But, you know, I've been ter- told already that Urban Planet was kind of planning for this and, uh, you know, we'll take spaces, whether or not, you know, on somewhat of a temporary basis or, or more full time. And I also think we're going to see maybe some restaurants. Like I was looking at Kingsway Mall, the way it was set up, and I thought this might make a great two-story restaurant. But who knows? I mean, landlords, you know, they're ultimately going to take what makes them the most money for the space. And hopefully they'll get a tenant that's also productive, not like Forever 21. Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll let you in on some inside information. Uh, I probably will go by, I think Richmond Town Center has a Forever 21. I, I have at least two button-up shirts that I know that I got there, like for like 10 or 15 bucks. I might as well just poke around, see if there's anything that I can grab. Yeah, maybe worth it. I don't know. I just never found anything there in the last little while. I bought a shirt, I think, four years ago from there, and it wrinkled. like It was just awful. I wore it once, and I think I donated it, which I feel bad actually donating it. <laughs> Someone else has to deal with it. Actually, no, I, I do recall uh, one of the shirts, absolutely great. I still wear it to this day. Uh, another one of the yeah. shirts, though, uh, I, I just remember it was really cheap material, and it wasn't very comfortable. And like, yeah, you said, like I remember it would fold really easily, and it was just like, eh. Yeah, I mean, there's great retailers out there at similar prices like Uniqlo. I mean, they actually have good quality stuff. And Zara has done a pretty good job overall. I mean, these are all, you know, it's questionable where they're made in terms of, you know, how much people are getting paid and the safety and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I've always seen, you know, other retailers with more compelling product overall. Well, speaking of shopping centers, though, I, I understand that you are working on a new study for Retail Council of Canada and you're kind of getting into, I guess, an evolution so much of like mini cities kind of evolving around malls. Like, tell me a little bit about this, uh, these kind of proposals that are taking place here. Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. Like, I do follow what's happening in the industry around shopping centers, but I didn't realize how many shopping centers are going to be redeveloped and that will include, you know, housing, office building, hotels. Uh, basically, landlords are able to intensify the site. So, um, you know, I'm just thinking, for example, the Lowe Town Center, uh, you know, over a couple of decades, there's a plan, you know, in place to spend, I'm sure it'll be more than $7 billion to put, you know, 11 uh, residential high rises on the site. Uh, you know, they're basically in some cases going to, you know, create outdoor streets that people can shop on. And it's a real overhaul of the center. And even, you know, Metropolis at Metrotown, which in the Retail Council of Kansas study was shown to be, you know, the busiest center in British Columbia. I think it's the largest shopping center and one of the most productive. It's not the top. The Pacific Center got that. Uh, it's a, a really strong gain uh, over 2018. But, um, you know, there are plans, and I'm not saying by Ivanhoe Cambridge, the landlord, but, you know, the city of Burnaby's created a long-term plan where that, you know, center would be demolished and shopping would be at the base of, uh, you know, tall buildings and there would be a kind of a street grid there. So, um, you know, is this the is this the death of the mall? Well, no, I think it's a transformation of retail because, you know, obviously we're not going to lose these uh, major retail nodes, but I think they're going to look a lot different in the future. And then, you know, as we start seeing, you know, drone delivery becoming something a bit more uh, common and it's being tested by London Drugs, that was reported by BIV, I believe. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, as we see, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, coming to play, I think that, you know, our society will shift and, uh, what you see right now, say a shopping center property, will actually become a new little downtown for an area, and that's really exciting, and it's really going to transform how you know Canada looks. I would say, and particularly the Lower Mainland. I mean, just given the high real estate prices and the lack of land in the Lower Mainland, 
uh, it makes sense that you've got these giant shopping centers, you know, with seas of parking, like acres and acres of, you know, surface parking. It doesn't really make economic sense to, uh, you know, have that, you know, land so underutilized. So, you know, in the future, we're going to see, you know, an incredible utilization of that land. And quite often you can put really tall buildings because they won't shadow over a neighborhood. And already shopping centers are usually connected to really good transit. Well, the other thing I, I think that's worth noting here is the transit point that you just made. Just think about, hey, uh, say, Metropolis at Metrotown or, or Metrotown Center uh, with regards to its connection on the Millennium and Expo lines. Uh, you flip over to the other side of the Millennium line, and we've got, say, Brentwoods as well, Lowheed, and then go on to the Canada line, and Oak Ridge is just sprouting up, and it's all centered on the SkyTrain stations. You bet. No, I think it's really exciting because it's also utilizing public transit, which ultimately a city needs because you can only fit so many cars on a street. Not everyone can be driving around. It's just impossible, you know, physically. So, um, you know, I think transit has really driven the uh, redevelopment of these shopping centers. And I think it's incredibly exciting. Like, I hope I live long enough to see all this stuff happening because, you know, like I said, you know, this Canada is going to look very, very different in 30 years. Well, Finally, why don't we leave it with this? Because coming up next week, Retail West annual conference, uh, it's coming to Vancouver. What can people expect from this, Craig? Yeah, Retail Council Canada puts together a conference in Vancouver. It's going to be at the Hyatt Hotel. And uh, it's kind of a gathering of, uh, uh, you know, retail industry experts and leaders. And people will be there, you know, talking about uh, various things. There's all kinds of networking that happens as well. And uh, um, you know, they're fun events. I, unfortunately, I can't make it this year. I'm going to be away. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, you know, we're helping talk about it because, uh, uh, you know, and what day is it on? I actually have to literally check I think my it's October here. 16th, if I recall correctly. <laughs> because really, you know, what I think is interesting is some of the strongest retailers in Canada come out of, you're right, October 16th. Some of the strongest retailers in Canada come out of British Columbia, uh, you know, specifically Vancouver and uh, literally, they're expanding around the world. I mean, you know, Lululemon has plans to grow, uh, you know, I think quadruple its business within a few years and to, you know, have stores all over the world. And uh, that, that's incredible. Aritzia as well, you know, it's growing in Canada. They just opened, I think, Kelowna yesterday. Uh, and, uh, you know, plans to open stores around the world. Uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. So, you know, I've always said that Vancouver's had an incredible, uh, uh, you know, background in terms of having strong retailers and restaurants. I mean, if you think about, you know, Cactus Club, Moxie's, uh, you know, Earl's. I mean, these are all Vancouver-based concepts that have expanded throughout Canada as well as even into the United States and beyond. So um, clearly there are some intelligent people in Vancouver who've come up with great concepts and have been able to execute those expansions. Well, Craig, I want to thank you for joining us on the show, and I also want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Yes, you as well. Thank you. And that is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. That's it for the show today. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So please tell a friend. I'm Tyler Orton. We'll be back on Tuesday because, of course, Monday is the holiday. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>